This is KMTT. Kimitzion Titzei Torah. And on Mondays in Cholesh Elul of this year, Tashin Samachtet, we're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. Uh, we're going to have Harav Rosh Tarigan, who will be giving a weekly shir on the Tefilot of the Amim Noraim. The um, deep and profound themes of Rosh Hashanah are all captured in the nuanced sound of a shofar. The shofar, both in its sound, in its visual uh, impact, seeing the shofar, recognizing the animal that it comes from. Very interesting, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah delivers a shear for a shofar. Now, the shear in metric terms is a tefach. But the description of that shear is that the shofar has to be large enough in order to hold it, to grasp it in your hand, so that it should be seen on either side. Suggesting that the shofar's message is delivered visually, not just through its tones and through its auditory message. So all the images and themes of Rosh Hashanah are captured by the shofar. The mitzvah de Araisa, Yom, Trua Yelachem, Zichron Trua Yelachem. However, the shofar is very, very abstract, very, um, very conceptual almost. After all, it's just a horn, and the sound is a sound. If you close your eyes and you're attuned to the messages, you can literally read those messages into the shofar experience. Part of why the mitzvah requires kavana, unlike other mitzvahs, mitzvah saying tzichas kavana, certain levels of kavana necessary to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar. The Rambam paskins the mitzvah of shofar is to listen to the shofar, not just to blow. In theory, if a person blows but doesn't listen, doesn't hear, doesn't internalize the messages. So in order to expound, to amplify Ironically, to amplify the messages of the shofar, our tefillos in Rosh Hashanah, especially parshas or uh, the tefillos Mosef, contain a series of ten psukim. Each series of ten psukim dedicated towards slowly and gradually articulating the themes that shofar, or the sound of shofar, sound and voice, so that we're able to read into this abstract tone the various messages and ideas underlying the Rosh Hashanah experience. In fact, according to Rashi, both in his commentary in the Torah and his parish to a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, it seems as if reciting these three series of psukim, not necessarily ten, hard to imagine the number ten is there, I said, but at least reciting these three series of psukim <coughs> is a mitzvah in Torah. Typically, there's, a, of course, a well-known machlokus between the Rambam and the Ramban. Is Tefillah Mitzvah Deiraisa or not? The Rambam felt that it was. The Ramban felt that it wasn't. But even the Rambam, who, feel, who felt that a mitzvah minatara exists to Davun, will the Avdo Bechol Levavchem, Ezohi Avodah the Gemara in Tanit explains, Havi Omer Zutfilah, even the Rambam claims or agrees that the syntax and the liturgy of the tefillah isn't. A person could pray in any language and daven whatever they feel. 
But here there is a Torah prescribed mandate on Rosh Hashanah based on the phrase Zichron Trua. Torah mentions the sound of the Shafra twice, once in Pinchas, once in Emor. Once it writes Yom Trua, once it writes Zichron Trua. And Rashi suggests that the phrase Zichron Trua suggests not hearing the Shafar, but reciting Psukim to remind us of the messages and imageries of the Shofar. In fact, this year, Tavshin Ayin Emirz Hashem, Rosh Hashanah Tavshin Ayin, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we won't even blow a Shofar. Now, according to the Bavli, not blowing the Shofar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah is based on the well-known Gezer of Rabbah, that if a Shofar is blown, perhaps a person will hustle with the Shofar, will be impetuous, and run into Rosh Hashanah to consult an expert on the proper technique of blowing. And the protection of Shabbos demands the suspension of Mitzvah Shofar if Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. Very powerful statement today. Most shuls have plenty of people who are experts, and they'll let you know that. And even where there aren't experts in a particular shul, most communities today have Arabs, and there's really no problem carrying a Shofar. Because I made a Takana. And we've lost the machinery to challenge or to reverse that takana. Today, the takana may no longer be relevant. Here we are suspending a major mitzvah on the holiest of days for an outdated takana. But our uh, commitment to the authority of Chazal demands that we cannot simply reverse. One day, Meher Yibana Beis HaMikdash will rediscover the machinery, the autonomy, the Bateidin, the Sanhedrin, and perhaps this will be a takana which is reversed and we will once again blow shofar if Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. But at this stage in our history, we can't. But the Yishalmi offers a different explanation or justification for a day of Rosh Hashanah without hearing the shofar, because even though we don't hear the actual sound or witness the visual impact of the shofar, the psukim themselves are recited, and the psukim themselves capture the real important messages of shofar. And that is also part of the mitzvah based on the Pasuk of Zichron Teruah. So, the Psukim of Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofaros lie at the heart of our davening, but they're not just intended to enrich the davening and to iterate the important themes of Rosh Hashanah, but to enrich and to enunciate the latent tones and messages of the Shofar. Mir Hashem, over the next two Shiorim, I'd like to read through some of the Psukim of Malchios, Zichronot, and Shofarot. And it would really pay to open up a machzar and follow along some of the psukim, which I will be quoting from. The first section is, of course, the section known as Malchiot. And Malchiot attests to and affirms the authority, the sovereignty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's reign, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's monarchy. And even though these are nestled along with Zichronot and Shofarot, <coughs> Without question, the theme of Malchios is not just one of the three equal themes of Rosh Hashanah, but it tends to dominate. The word Melech, Laces, our davening, our piyutim, many of the changes and modifications to our tefillah, most prominently, HaKel HaKadosh, HaMelech HaKadosh, during the rest of Aseris Yemei Tshuva, Melech Ohev Tzedakah Mishpat is converted into HaMelech HaMishpat, so even though there are three themes, one could say not all themes are created equal. There's a very interesting expression of this in a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah Lamed Beis. Typically, we would expect that the Shmon Esri should be structured by 
reciting the three introductory brachos, the bracha of Magen Avraham, the bracha of Mechaye Meisim, and the bracha of HaMelech HaKadosh. And after the introduction has concluded, at that point, to introduce the various psukim with the different themes. Having concluded the introductory sections, we would then expect a section of Kedusha Sayom, mentioning the sanctity of the day. We mentioned the sanctity of the day, proceeding to recite the three different sub-themes, Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofaros. Our Mishnah in Hashanah Lamed Beis provides two options. The option of Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, you recite the bracha of Avos, Magen Avraham, the bracha of Gevuros, bracha of Kedusha, Kedusha Sashem, and you insert Malchios into the introduction of the Shemun While you're reciting the bracha of Atah Kadosh v'Shimcha Kadosh, you recite Malchios. Rabbi Akiva offers the descending opinion. You cannot insert Malchios Psukim into the introductory sections of Shemun They are indeed reserved for post-introductory introduction. But even Rabbi Akiva claims that Malchios is incorporated into the section of Kedusha Sayom, the bracha describing the sanctity of the day. Only subsequently do we then recite brachas of Psukim of Zechronios and Psukim of Shofaros with their respective brachas. And we, in fact, are noheg like Rabbi Akiva. We recite the first three brachas, Avos, Givuros, and Kedusha Hashem. And then while we are reciting the bracha of Kedusha Sayom, known more familiarly as Kadashenu b'mitzvosecha, Sein chalkeinu b'sarasecha, Sabeinu mitugacha, v'samcheinu b'shuosecha, v'tar libeinu liavdecha b'yemes, concluding with Mekadesh Yisrael v'yom hazikaron, as we recite on every Chag, Mekadesh Yisrael v'yisrael v'hazmanim, Mekadesh Yisrael v'yom hakipurim, within that bracha describing the day, we iterate the Pesukim of Malchios, suggesting that the primary theme of the day, the true identity of the day, is one of Malchios. It's one of Hashem's authority and monarchy. And even Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri felt that way, and it was so important that he even inserted the Psukim of Malchios into the very beginning of Shemon Esri. Rekiva disagreed with that insertion, but even he carves out a special location, a special niche for the Psukim of Malchios. The ten Psukim of Malchios offer many different themes. There are psukim which simply describe HaKadosh Baruch Hu's authority and monarchy in a pure sense, without any qualifiers, without any contexts, without any um, combination of different time periods, simply stating HaKadosh Baruch Hu's authority. For example, the first Pasuk. We recite Aleinu as a poetic introduction. Ki ha-malchus shilchahi ad timloch b'chavod kakasiv b'sarasecha Hashem yimloch leolam v'ad. Very little that that Pasuk adds other than stating the obvious and the absolute. And it's a very important Pasuk with which to begin because contextualizing or casting malchus in a certain framework which is important to understand it better may also qualify it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Malchus is infinite. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Malchus is unqualified. So therefore the section begins with that overriding sense of Hashem, Yimloch, 
Leolam Vaed. There's another set of psukim in the section of Malchus. Rosh Hashanah is the day the world was created. There's a very, very well-known machlokis, whether the world was created in Tishrei or Nisan. Hard to know what we paskin like, because there are many different um, cross-currents. But by and large, most of our tradition and experience is oriented, is centered around the assumption that the world was created in Tishrei. And there could be two creations, a material creation and a redemptive creation. But at the very least, on Rosh Hashanah, we relate to Tishrei as the month in which the world was created, and as Rosh Hashanah, as the day in which the world was inaugurated. Now, the fact that the world was created on Rosh Hashanah is not just a cosmological or universal or physical issue. It's also a theological one. In our davening, we recite the anonymously written medieval poem, Adon Olam Asher Malach, B'terem Kol Yitzir Nifra. And the opening passage that I just mentioned speaks of a pristine, uncontested domination or dominion of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. B'terem Kol Yitzir Nifra. Before anything else was created, before the penchant, the potential for disobedience, for rebellion, ever entered the universe before man was created, because man is really the only creature that can rebel and has a will of its own. Um, other creatures can't cognitively rebel, but there can be a perversion of nature, which is a product probably of man's misbehavior. The perversion of nature can be best detected in Parshas Noah, where the entire earth had become distorted by man's uh, malfeasance, by man's misguidance, and the world itself have to, had to be erased and reconstructed. So even if animals can't disagree or disobey God, it certainly introduces the possibility of distortion and it tarnishes that pristine, full, unconditional acceptance of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's Malchus. So really the last time that Kodesh Baruch Hu's Malchus was felt unconditionally was during B'Yas when the world was created. And that's what Adon Olam voices, B'terem kol Yitzir Nivra, before anyone else was created or anything else, as I'm Melech Shimon, God's Malchus reigned supreme. And Rosh Hashanah aims to relive those moments, which are very exciting moments, for an Oved Hashem, who yearns with Taki and Olam Malchus Shakai to, to redeem the world, to revive and re-landscape the world in the kingdom of God thinking that this is the day, this is the time, this is the moment that Akash Baruch Hu's Malchus was truly felt without rebellion, without agnosticism, without denial and skepticism. And there are several psukim in the series of ten that are almost nostalgic, reminding us of Akash Baruch Hu's Malchus on that day, what we could call prehistoric Malchus. So for example... A very well-known pasuk, which also figures very, very prominently in the overall Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur experience. Um, Hashem Malach Geus Lavesh Lavesh Hashem owes his Azar. Hashem was the king. He adorned himself in supremacy, in authority. He took strength, owes his hazar, aftikon tevel, he established the world, the universe, baltimot, it can never be torn asunder. Pasuk, which 
reminds us of that day. Another pasuk: Seu sherim Mashechem v'hinasu pischei olam imagining the gates of heaven bursting open for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's arrival, which is a very natural, cosmological pasuk. God, His presence in heaven, the gates exploding, gates being pulverized, doesn't speak directly about Sheshus Yimei Breshus, but uh, the first pasuk I mentioned does in Parak Gimel, Mikolos Mayim Rabim, that whole Perak, that uh, is according to or the Medrash, that the uh, the water said Shira Tashem Aftikon Tevel Baltimot, and these psukim remind us of Rosh Hashanah's identity as Zehayom Techilas Maasecha. This is when you first created the world, Zikaron Leom Rishon. We're trying to remember that first day, but not just remember it from a detached historical standpoint, but remember the strength, the potency of a undisputed, indisputable presence of HaKadosh Baruch Well, if it's also a moment to remember, recall, that early Malchus of Hashem, it's also a day in which we dream of the restoration of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's complete Malchus. So, the 8th Pasuk and the ninth Pasuk are direct references to the restoration of the kingdom of God, the full authority of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Liasid Lavo, when Mashiach arrives, Vialu Moshiim Bahar Tzion, Lishbot Es Sav, the enemies of HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be judged, they will be demoted, they will be indicted, Vahisal Hashem Hamlucha, Vahya Hashem Lemelech, Al Kol Haaretz, Vayomahu, Yiyashem Echad, Ushmo Echad, unanimously accepted, total submission to their Bona and there's a pasuk taken from Yeshaya, Mem Dalet, which tries to encapsulate or capture the fact that we are relating to the dawn of history on Rosh Hashanah and to the hope for a conclusion of history. Ka'amar Hashem, Melech Yisrael v'go'ala Hashem Tzvakos, Ani Rishon, Vani Acharon, Umibaladai Ein Elokim. I was first, I will be last, and without me, there are no gods. There is no God. So a very a strong current streaming within the Psukim of the Tem Psukim of Malchus is a nostalgic recall of the opening of creation, the first day, the prehistoric authority of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, before it was challenged or questioned or doubted, and the dream of a full restoration of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Malchus, of a full restoration of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's kingdom. But then there's another theme. And it's an important shift. And it's one which may not be that easily detected. It's not a shift textually. But it's a shift um, topically. Rosh Hashanah is a universal day. Rosh Hashanah is an international day. It can be said that that's precisely part of the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There are many differences, and oftentimes people combine the two and thereby blur the differences, and it's important to sense and to sharpen the differences. One of the differences is the scope. 
This is a day in which God created the entire universe in Rosh Hashanah. All men pass before God as cattle. The heart-rending, almost ominous phrases of Unasan Etokif. It's not just an international day, it's a celestial day. The angels tremble. The day of Yom Hadin, the day of Rosh Hashanah, is felt in the heavens. It's not typically seen as a uniquely Jewish day. Unlike Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a special gift. A gift delivered from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe. Moshe begged for forgiveness after the Chereigal, HaKadosh Baruch Hu offered that. Obviously, even a Gentile can perform tshuva. That was quite evident in the story of Nineveh. But the unique experience of Beis HaMikdash, of Kodesh HaKadoshim, and the Pesukim HaNachar Eimos, Kol Adas Yisrael, Kol Azrach B'Yisrael, Hechipar HaKodesh, Mitumos B'nei Yisrael, Mipesheim Lechol Chatosam, Vechen Yasev Le'ol Moed, these are all very, very parochial experiences offered as a matana to the Jewish people. So we, we, we best appreciate the universalism of Rosh Hashanah in contrast to the parochialism of Yom Kippur. But that being said, and acknowledging the universalism of Rosh Hashanah, acknowledging that every being and every creature senses the pulsing authority of a Kurdish Barucho. The Yeda Kol Paul Kiata Pialto, Yavin Kol Yitzor Kiata Yitzarto, Viomar Kol Asher Nishama Biapo, Hashem Aluke Yisrael Melech. In acknowledging that all of our Piyutim describe the angels accepting a Kurdish Barucho's Malchus. There still is a unique role for one nation on this day. As the Kaddish Baruch Hu's Malchus is extended on Rosh Hashanah. But no nation except one embraces and acknowledges it. That's why the famous description of the Vilna Gon, Ki Lashem Hamlucha, which is the, third, the fourth Pasuk in Malchus, Moshel Bagoyim, God is really the Melech. But since so few human communities have embraced that Malchus, so his presence is known more as a Moshe. A Moshe is a tyrant, someone who imposes his will. Our dream is, Hashem Lemelech Al Kolar. It's that one day God's will and God's authority will be willfully and voluntarily accepted. And he won't just be a Moshe, but he'll be a Melech. But we're still stuck in history. And at this stage in history, God is still a Moshe, because very few have accepted him as a Melech. But we have. And that's a very powerful energy of Rosh Hashanah. The universalism versus the parochialism. That it's a general day. Not, not just universal, but cosmological. But it's also a day for us, for the Jewish people, because we know what the day means. Every human being and every creature is experiencing the day of judgment and the day of justice and the day of Malchus, but only one notices it and only one performs mitzvahs and only one responds to it and only one celebrates it. Ashrei Ha'am Yod the Pasuk which we recite during shofar blowing. Hashem bi'ar panecha yihalechon. We're fortunate because we understand that it's a day of truah. And we understand the importance of coronating Hashem 
by blowing a shofar. And everyone misses the point. Everyone else misses the opportunity. So we're fortunate. Ashreham, Yod'ei Trua, Hashem Bi'or Panecha Yihalichun. The Rav Zatzal quoted a very fascinating medrash. Medrash describes the ability of Jews to set the calendar. We set when, Rosh Hashem, when Pesach is, when Sukkot is, by determining the new moon. Again, there's certain parameters, not absolutely way, but within a certain range, we determine. You dictate, you determine. So the Medrash describes the scene in Rosh Hashanah. And in Shemayim, the angels are dilly-dallying around, as it were, waiting for Rosh Hashanah to begin. They finally turn to Hashem and say, when will this day of Malchus, this day of judgment, this day of terror and awe, when will it begin? And Kodesh Baruch Hu turns to Malachim and effectively says something to the point of, when the Jews downstairs decide when Rosh Chodesh is, that's when Rosh Hashanah would be. It's one thing for us to have the authority to dictate the calendar and determine when Pesach is and Sukkot. And These are historical days. These are days of national miracles for the Jews. We should reasonably have that authority, that flexibility, that authorship. But the universal, cosmological, metaphysical day of Rosh Hashanah should be dependent upon when a certain base then sets the new moon. It creates a lot of technical difficulties, as the Gemara Rosh Hashanah describes. All the other holidays are offset from the first of the month by at least 10 days, in most cases of 6 days, 15. Shavuos is not really 6 days because Shavuos is determined by Pesach. So effectively, there's always a 10 to 15 day offset. So we determine when the new moon is and that um, percolates or filters down and determines the, the, the holiday, the ensuing holiday. But in the case of Rosh Hashanah, as soon as we determine it, it becomes Rosh Hashanah, which creates a lot of awkwardness. We have to keep Rosh Hashanah not knowing whether that day will be Rosh Hashanah in the days of the Beis HaMikdash. Because if the Edom will come, say, at 12 o'clock in the morning and announce that it's the new moon, then that day will have retroactively been designated as Rosh Hashanah. So that's what leads to all the the maneuvering and um, real adjustments of a three-day Rosh Hashanah. Fascinating. Something as universal and as cosmological as Rosh Hashanah is still a product of the Jewish determination, and the Jews still play that role because as exciting as a day it is, there's only one nation that really senses the excitement, that accepts its master. It's Mechab HaMachoshemayim. That's why the second and third Pasuk of Malchios described a special, unique, exclusive relationship between God and His people as Melech. Lo hibit aven bi'akov, Pasha's Balak, v'lo ra'amal Yisrael. You cannot see any flaw in the tribe of Yaakov, or uh, a defect amongst the Jewish people, Hashem, Mo, their God is with them, Usuras, Melech, and the coronation, or the sound of a king, the exaltation of a king is with them, we are dignified, we are ennobled by our submission, to Baruch Hu, we possess Etras, Melech, the next Pasuk, Vayhi, Bishur, Melech, Bishasef, Rosheyam, Yachad, Shiftei, Yisrael, Pasuk in Vizos Abracha, describing the gathering of Am Yisrael, Bishur and Melech, a gathering surrounding their king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Very interesting Pasuk. we all uh, very familiar with the end of the Pasuk, Yachat Shiftei Yisrael, a Pasuk which describes Achdus of accepting the other of Avas Yisrael. Ideally, a person who feels HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence is driven to greater levels of Avas Yisrael. 
if he sends Vahibi Shur and Melech Vihisasef Rashayam, then it should be drawn towards a greater acceptance for many reasons, morally, but even intellectually, because the Kodesh Baruch is so infinite that there can't be one truth, there can't be one approach to Hashem. It's just impossible, just logically, that there's one single way to serve Hashem within the parameters of Kabbalah and Mitzvah. So, if you really sense the Kodesh Baruch is infinity, then you should be more accepting of different approaches. And not just that, but at an emotional level. The more that you love a Kodesh Baruch Hu, the more that you should love another Jew. And to feel, it's not easy. It's not easy. Don't, don't get me wrong. Avas Yisrael is probably one of the hardest mitzvot, but, or midos, but it is an important me that it stems from, if I love Hashem, then I love the people He loves, and I love the people He chose, and I love His children, and the two feed each other. The famous defender of the Jewish people would also quote the previous passage I mentioned. If instead of indicting Jews and prosecuting and finding fault and dismissing you, support them and defend them and celebrate them, even when they sin, and your zochah to those two um, attitudes, then Hashem Elokav Imaos Ruas then you makabel Pnei Be that as it may, these psukim, which aside from the aside from the secondary messages of Avas Yisrael, they talk about Hashem's unique malchus as sensed by the Jewish people. That's one of the central thrusts of Rosh Hashanah. I would call it a paradox, not really a paradox, but it's a contrast between universalism and parochialism. It's an important contrast. If we don't sense the universal glory of the day, then we lose the magnitude and the sweep and the power of the day. It has to be seen in its cosmological and theological sweep in order to lend it its magnitude, its strength, and its resonance so that we're accepting. We're so thrilled to have Hashem as our Melech because He's a Melech al-Kolaretz. And until we sense that Malchus al-Kolaretz, His Malchus in our own context may be less deep and may be less mighty and glorious. And of course, the last Pasuk in a series of ten is a Pasuk which doesn't even express Malchus, doesn't even contain the word Malchus. So much so the Gemara has to actually defend it being included. But for us, we know that it's an important Pasuk, an important Pasuk in many respects. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. First of all, it's a Pasuk which we relate to Hashem not as a Melech, but as our God. And that suggests um, not the imposition of authority, but the graceful and enthusiastic acceptance of authority, Hashem Elokeinu. It, of course, reiterates secondarily that Am Yisrael throughout history has been the only nation to completely accept God's authority. And without question, without question, reciting this Pasuk in the year Tavshin Ayin is a lot different than reciting this Pasuk a thousand years ago. Because throughout history, that Pasuk has accumulated so much meaning. The great secret of Jewish survival, the great sacrifice of love, the loyalty of love that the Jews have shown a Kaddish Baruch Hu is their willingness to die al Kiddush Hashem, particularly over the last 2,000 years since Chorban Beis HaMikdash. And that this Pasuk can't possibly have the same meaning now than it did 2,000. It has the same meaning linguistically, semantically, but experientially. It means so much to us. Still in Rosh Hashanah, year in, year out, and Begah Kaddish Baruch Hu, Zohar Habris, 
Remember the covenant with the Yitzchak? Remember the shofar? Remember the ayal? But not just to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu because of the ayal, but to turn to Hashem and say, well, look at what we've done. Look at how much we've sacrificed. Look at how loyal we've remained. Look at everything we've suffered and the violence and the hatred that we've borne. We've been exposed to because we love you and because we are your people and reflect your presence. That lends a potency and a compulsion to the tefillah and to the final pasuk of Shema Yisrael, which, as I said earlier, is accumulated, which has been generating throughout history. So these are the ten psukim of Malchios. Again, there are roughly three or four ideas and themes, reminiscence about the first moment of God's authority, hoping and yearning for the full restoration, remembering the unique authority that we alone embrace and recognize. Finally, reducing it even to a passage that doesn't even mention Malchus, it goes beyond Malchus. Then, of course, the section is introduced, not to forget, by a simple, unadorned, straightforward, four-word pasuk, Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Va'ed. Mitz Hashem, the next year, we'll try to summarize the themes of Zichronos and Shafaros.